This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Josh Hood, the artist on We Can Never Go Home from Black Mask Studios. You're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt, and may God have mercy on your soul. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the admittedly late THN episode 202, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, March 25th, but we're going to cover some stuff from last week, too. March 18th. That's right. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. When I'm not questioning my manhood after the death of my March Madness bracket, on day one of the tournament, I am writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. This is why I don't participate, man. Football you can count on. Fantasy football I can handle. Oh, please. March Madness is madness. It is. It's pure madness. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not riling up the internet to protest the quote-unquote death of a Ninja Turtle, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Show some respect, you monster. Too soon. In this week's episode, soon. you'll hear our reviews of Miami Vice Redux, number one. And that's not what it's called. The Private Eye, number 10. After that, we'll review 10 more of this week's new comics faster than Ted Cruz running from a big red dinosaur during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we've invited friends of the recently deceased Donatello to join us for an evening of reflection and remembrance of the fallen Ninja Turtle, while we discuss a couple of next week's new comics. And finally, we're making up for last week and playing Take a Look, it's in a book this week when we review March by Congressman John Lewis. But before we start discriminating against states that discriminate against gay folks, let's play some WrestleMania prop bets. I've got 20 bucks It says Sting dies of old age in the ring. And get this government-funded sex party on the road. Then we can talk about this week's big news. Last week, Marvel Comics announced that artist John Cassidy would be leaving Star Wars after the first arc concludes with issue number six. But Marvel didn't leave fans guessing his replacement for long. The publisher has announced that Stuart Immonen will take over on our duties with issue number eight. I think it's Inmo Man. Inmo Man. <laughs> following a one-issue fill-in by, quote, a very special artist. What does that even mean? George Lucas. Oh, yeah. Immonen is an industry veteran with long runs on iconic characters like Superman, the Avengers, and the X-Men on his resume. The artist will conclude his brief run on all-new Captain America with the conclusion of the series' first story arc. Matt, seems like Marvel is continuing to put everything they've got into the Star Wars relaunch. Are you happy with Cassidy's replacement? I, I Yeah, I mean, I really like Stuart, and he's a super talented guy. Yeah, I think this is a great announcement, and I think MMN's going to fit right in there with the tone and the feel of the book. Should be awesome. They should push the next wave Agents of Hate relaunch back by an entire year. <laughs> yeah, don't, so. don't, don't hold your breath. In other Marvel news, the publisher unveiled the lineup of the all new, all different Avengers team that will assemble in the wake of Secret Wars. The new team will make its debut in the Avengers free comic book day special on May 2nd and will feature Thor, Goddess of Thunder, the new Captain America, the Vision, Nova, Iron Man or somebody like him. Ms. Marvel, and none other than Miles Morales, the ultimate Spider-Man. Big shock. A version of the cover leaked earlier in the week also revealed the title's creative team, writer Mark Wade, 
artist Mahmoud Asrar, and colorist Laura Martin. Though the version officially released by Marvel removed all mention of the creative team, Asrar confirmed his involvement on Twitter. And then was fired. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I feel like Mark Wade writing the Avengers as some kind of beautiful dream, but what do you think of that lineup? Let's talk about Wade for a second. You and I have both agreed that the Avengers books have gotten so Da Vinci-coded that <laughs> it's almost impossible to follow what's going on. Yes. They have devolved into madness. And if anybody can bring the Avengers-ness, if you will, back to the Avengers, I can't think of someone better than Mark Wade to do it. Totally agree. I love the choice of Mark Wade or Mahmoud Asrar is incredible. Oh, yeah. That guy is so good and freaking fantastic. The team it's a little weird. It is weird, right? And I love all of these characters, but my first reaction was that it didn't feel like the Avengers. Yeah, okay, I agree. It felt kind of like, here's a bunch of characters that got a bunch of press last year. I mean, I don't want to think of it. I, Except I'm for the sure, Vision. I'm sure that, well, no, the Vision's going to be in, in Age of Ultron. That right. dude's going to be everywhere after, yeah. after May. Paul Bettany, you mean? Paul Bettany, you're right. I, I do love the characters. And I'm, I'm trying not to view it too cynically, but it really does feel like here's all of our big marketing push yeah. guys in one book. And maybe there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. And yeah. I trust Mark Wade to be able to do something with that. I think they'll do a that. great job with it. I do love it when up and coming characters are given a chance to shine. I, I, you know, for years we waited for guys like Cyborg and Nightwing to get promoted to the big leagues and be able to join the justice league and stuff right. and it's happening early for these characters and that's not bad at all my last thought though well, we also don't know why it's happening who knows secret right. war might displace a bunch of these guys oh or sure kill them or absolutely we don't know uh, early rumors are suggesting that it was going to be pepper Potts as the iron character role uh, she was going to take the name iron woman and she was rescued she had her own right female iron man suit I love she had her own she had her own Iron Man suit. I don't know why it was a female Iron Man suit. <laughs> female Iron Man. She's a transgendered right. Iron Man. <laughs> uh, but this cover, it's definitely not that suit. It is it is a more traditional looking red and gold Iron Man. Yeah. But I would bet money that it's not Tony Stark. I will say it doesn't look as bulky as Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit. Yeah, like it, it looks could a little be slim. a kid, right? Like Iron Lad. Ooh, I don't know. I, whatever it is, I think it's a safe bet that it's not Tony under there. Iron Lass? Iron Lady Man? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Mark Wade on the Avengers, it's like everything I want. It's very cool, and I think looking at this lineup, yeah, like you said, we can say it looks like a cash grab. But at the same time, Mark Wade is really good at writing very personalized stories about characters with big personalities, and you can't argue that everybody on this team, other than maybe the Vision who's kind of a robot, is a very big personality-forward character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, maybe he handpicked him, said, this is what I want, and they said, yeah, do it. I'm excited to find out. All right. In Hollywood news, sexy actor Ryan Reynolds unveiled the costume he'll be wearing in the upcoming Deadpool feature film. Reynolds tweeted a photo of himself wearing the suit, laying down on a bearskin rug in front of a roaring fire with the caption, with great power comes great irresponsibility. In short order, 20th Century Fox revealed the film's logo and official synopsis. Quote, based upon Marvel Comics' most unconventional anti-hero, Deadpool tells the origin story of former Special Forces operative turned mercenary Wade Wilson, who, after being subjected to a rogue experiment that leaves him with accelerated healing powers, adopts the alter ego, Wolverine. 
Armed with his new abilities and dark twisted <laughs> sense of humor, Deadpool hunts down the man who nearly destroyed his life. It has also been confirmed that Firefly nope. Star. That quote is, the quote is oh, over. Yeah, sorry, the quote is over. <laughs> it's also been confirmed that Firefly Star Marina Baccarin will be playing Copycat. And Silicon Valley Star TJ Miller will be playing Deadpool's best friend slash weapon supplier, Weasel. That is brilliant casting. Totally. Deadpool's in production now and is scheduled to be released on February 12th, 2016. Joey, that costume is perfect. Oh, God, yeah. It's, Dead on. It's 100%. What do you think of the synopsis here? You know, it is it is Deadpool. That is the story of Deadpool. Well, not just the story of Deadpool. This is the Joe Kelly, Christopher Priest Deadpool that we fell in love with. This is That's how it sounds. Deadpool and the Weasel, man, rolling around, causing problems. Yeah. I, this sounds I fantastic. Am, I am more and more excited about, about this movie. It looks like Fox is sticking super close to the source material in a way that the X-Men films never really have. Yeah. And if they can pull it off, hopefully it'll show Hollywood that you don't have to twist a property into something unrecognizable for it to be a well, success. And it makes perfect sense for a character like Deadpool. You don't have to do anything. Just do Deadpool. He's a lunatic. He's good at his job. He's got a healing power. Go. Yeah. And Ryan Reynolds, this is the movie to let him be a funny guy in. Not Green Lantern. Totally. This is a perfect role for him. Love it. I just hope his face is all messed up. I don't want to see pretty Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't. They can't. Don't right? do that. Yeah. Just they can't do that. Don't fumble the ball at the, at the one yard yeah. line. <laughs> I can't have sexy Deadpool. I want him to like look all ripped up and, and hot. And then he takes his mask off and ladies go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm I'm glad that it was confirmed that Marina Baccarin is copycat. Copycat's a big part of Deadpool's uh, history. Yep. Deadpool, our copycat and Weasel both made their first appearance in the same issue as Deadpool, New Mutants '98. And yeah, I, but I have to say, part of me was a little disappointed that uh, she's not Domino <laughs> because uh, I love Domino. Save Domino for the Cable movie. There you go. The comic industry's takeover of the airwaves continues. The CW premiered their iZombie TV adaptation last week, starring Rose McIver as Liv Moore, Malcolm Goodwin as Clive Babineau, Raul Coley as Dr. Ravi Chakrabarti, and more. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! As we did with the Powers premiere, Matt and I are going to dive right in and give our first impressions of the new show. There will be spoilers... You have been warned. Matt, after two episodes, what do you think of iZombie so far? Okay, well, I've only seen the pilot, but I Way will to say, go. You let us down. <laughs> Pilots are famous for typically not being as good as the rest of the show, but either showing promise or, like the Powers pilot, being pretty bad. Anyway, <laughs> this one I thought was quite a bit of fun. I thought it was great. I, the opening by Mike Alred. Oh, yeah. Awesome. They snuck in little bits of his art throughout the show too to like set the scene. It's very comic booky. There, every very scene transition done over in that pop art, right? Mike Allred, Lichtenstein, comic book panel style before it fades into the filmed stuff, right? And I think it looks great. Allred did the entire opening credits. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's really fun. Beautiful. I can't say the what was the main actress's name? Was Rose, Rose McIver. I don't know where she's from. She looks really familiar to me. Right, like. I agree. I, I looked her up and she's been in some stuff that I've never watched, but I okay. agree. She looked very familiar to me too. But she was really good. And this wasn't your typical CW, like 
here's someone impossibly young for the role they're supposed to be playing. So right. all the kids can relate to it. Like she seems like an adult. She was in an adult relationship. She was a doctor. She was going to marry super sexy Dawson's Creek looking dude. Very pacey looking, right? She like narrates the whole show very much in comic book format from panel to panel and scene to scene. She's sort of walking you through her feelings and her thoughts, which gave it a real dead like me feel. Right. And not just because she's undead, but just the nature of the show and how they presented things. Right, right. And it sort of unfolds with the main character. The only thing I didn't care for was the fact that she was still close to her family after she became a zombie. Like, I just don't need that. I don't need, like, mom and friend and ex-fiance being like, we still care about you. But you seem like you've changed. Well, no sh- her skin is like milky white. You know, and she I, has white hair. <laughs> I kind of liked that. Not that I need them all the time, but I kind of like the idea that she's trying to cling to her normal life because other than the fact that she's got to eat brains to keep from going crazy. Right. She doesn't f- feel any different. She's not mindless. You know, she's no. not roaming around groaning. So I kind of like the idea that that she's still trying to hold on to that life and everyone in it is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? See, I, <laughs> it was developed by the guy that created Veronica Mars. Yeah. Uh, Rob Thomas. And it shows lead singer of Matchbox 20. <laughs> Multi-talented guy. Double really, threat. If you close your eyes, then you can imagine that this is Veronica Mars. If Veronica quit law school because she became a zombie, <laughs> it's definitely written in very much the same tone. And so that smart dialogue, quick delivery. Yes, yes, very quick, and then moving on to the next thing. Yeah, and that thing that you describe about how she narrates it and everything—that's Veronica Mars to oh, a T. Totally. So format-wise, the style of the presentation is almost the same, which I love because Veronica Mars was a great show, and I'm a huge fan of it. I loved everything but Veronica. Oh, she is just not an actress. Now, we should say that it is very, very, very different from the comic. Yeah. Except for the fact that she's a zombie and she eats brains and tries to be normal. Yeah, the basic premise is there, but it's... Well, some of the trappings are there, but in the comic book, she was a grave digger and she was disconnected from her family and her best friend was a ghost. Yeah. And she had uh, another friend who turned into a were terrier. <laughs> and um, who may show up? We don't know. She was turned into a zombie by some ancient Egyptian guy that yeah. was. Well, this is still very screwball. They had fun with it. There's yeah. a drug that may or may not have interacted with people and turned them into a zombie, or they were taking this drug and something happened at the same time. It's loose. But it was funny and it was well done. It, it's still very much in the spirit. Now, I will say there there was a couple grown parts for me where she's sitting in the car thinking and the music comes up. It's like, all right, CW, hold up, hold up. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still it's still a, yeah. you know, it's still got its dramatic elements. All in all, I liked it. I'm going to watch this show. I think it's very good. And I was really not dreading it, but I wasn't excited about it at all. I wasn't either. Especially once they they just basically came out and said that it's not going to be anything like the comic. Once they said CW, I kind of lost all hope. But this is really well done. Yeah. I enjoy it quite a bit. And at the end of the day, Chris Roberson and Mike Alred getting paid. Hell yeah. And that's that's what it's all about, man. Good for those guys. Absolutely. Check it out. It's real it's really worth it. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything you think we missed over the past two weeks, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe and I are pitching an idea 
for a living dead dating site to help flesh-eating ghouls meet that special undead someone. Now, we just need some brave financiers looking to get in on the ground floor of this billion dollar idea. I'm telling you, sky's the limit, folks. <laughs> Every Sunday, the recently dead Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, you have been looking a little pale lately. <coughs> Why don't you tell the kids what we're asking them this week? This week's question, courtesy of Harvey Locust. Emerald City Comic Con is happening as we speak. True that. All of our internet friends have abandoned us and gone to Portland. It's Portland, right? Emerald nope, City? Seattle. Seattle. I've gone to <laughs> Seattle. Wow. The, spa- the Space Needle is like in the logo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seattle's pretty famously called the Emerald City. I got it. All of our friends have abandoned us and gone off to Seattle while we're here stuck at home recording in our pajamas, watching Chopped all day blaming the whole rest of the world for us not being there because it couldn't possibly be our fault anyway harvey locust writes in with this question what's the greatest thing you've ever scored as a collector an amazing find that you got your hands on through dumb luck trading generosity whatever and i'm saying it doesn't necessarily have to be comic related it can be anything baseball card toy buffalo head nickel whatever (laughs) you haven't tell 5 p.m. This coming Friday, April 3rd, to get us your answer. Now. I don't want to hear about your flags and your stamps, because that is ultra boring. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You can call. Leave a message. Using Skype. The Skype handles to it a nerd. All one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off for reasons. If you need more time than that. Feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. It's review time on THN where Matt and I do what critics do. Talk smack about others' creative endeavors because we can't create anything ourselves. It's sad, really. It is sad, right? Matt, what did you review this week? We could create something, but you refused to do it. I chose to review Miami Vice Remix, number one, from IDW. Written by Joe Casey, with art by Jim Mafood. This was $3.99 for 32 damn pages. Because a drug-addled Casey and Mafood demanded it, Miami Vice is back. But this time, like a DJ mixing dubstep beats, sirens, and fart noises into the smooth, synthy sounds of Phil Collins, it's remixed! Quichi, 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 boosh. <laughs> As a kid growing up in the 80s, Miami Vice was a weekly viewing staple for my father and I. Steve Baum and I were partners, just like Crockett and Tubbs, watching the two sexiest deep cover cops in Miami take down the drug lords that have been poisoning the mean streets of Dade County for too long. Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas showed me that a man can wear a pink shirt and a white suit and still not only kick ass, but bed some serious 80s babes. As an old school fan and the owner of the complete Miami Vice series on DVD, I can tell you, this is Miami Vice in name only. (laughs) Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I've been a fan of Mafood's art since I first saw his work in the mid-90s. He has a hard-edged, bizarre style Influenced by manga, hip-hop, and without a doubt, copious amounts of marijuana. It's a style you either love or hate. He did draw Marijuana Man, written by (laughs) Ziggy Marley. He did. But the Larry Stroman fan in me and the copious amounts of marijuana I was smoking in the 90s drew me to his heart immediately. Here, Jim is at his mafoodiest, drawing hyper-elongated cars to illustrate speed, 
figures bending in impossible angles to show extreme emotion and buildings stacked up on top of each other to give readers the feel of Miami's urban sprawl. This is an amazing comic to look at, and Mafood's hyperkinetic art is only matched by his absolutely bombastic colors. My only problem is with his word balloons. He took his art style directly into the word balloons, making some of them fairly difficult to read, which instantly takes the reader out of a breakneck pace story like this. My real problem with the issue, though, was Casey's story. I love Joe Casey. There was a time where I would buy anything with his name on the cover. People I worked with at my old comic shop referred to the writer as Matt Baum's boyfriend, Joe Casey. To this day, I would still make out with him if he wanted to. But there was just too much going on in the story here to grab onto any of the four separate threads presented. Casey's well aware that as a country, we know the Miami Vice mythos and doesn't spend any time introducing Crockett and Tubbs but does seem to try and cram as many story threads as possible into the first issue, complete with zombies. So much so that the entire project starts to feel like a mishmash of drunken ideas. There was just so much going on in 32 pages that it felt like it took an hour to read, with several minutes spent squinting at word balloons, I might add. But again, the length and amount of story packed into this is not necessarily a good thing. As a fan of both of these creators, I knew what I was getting into here, but it's almost like both of them needed a third person to just settle things down a bit. One of the plot lines would have been enough to hook me, and the addition of curse words and modern slang really didn't do much for me at all. Make this a whacked out 80s period piece that focuses on one crime story, and I'm in. But this was a coke and whiskey fueled spaz attack that couldn't keep its plot straight for more than 10 seconds. I'm giving a skim it because I love the art so much, but I really don't need zombies in my Miami Vice story. Okay. <clears throat> I'm giving it a skimmit as well, but only because it's so bizarre. Yeah. It's so bizarre that you really have to be the right audience for it. And I don't have a problem with bizarre. I loved it. Oh, really? Yes. I thought it was super fun. Okay. And I don't, I don't agree that they lost the plot. I think that they were right there with the, with the plot the whole time. The zombie thing was weird, but then later on, they uh, they say they 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 name the drug and it's Miami bath salts. Yeah, which like that actually happened in real life. The dude went on bath salts actually, and tried to pull some dude's out face that the off. The guy was not on bath salts, but it doesn't matter, right? But that was the story. <laughs> that was the story, but this turned out the story was wrong. Sure, but that's fine. Even though there isn't, and the guy that was peddling the drug in this was also a voodoo priest. So. <laughs> Well, he does look kind of like a voodoo person. Yeah. I think it's still set in the 80s, even though there's nothing inherently 80s about it. If you look at some of the the way some of the characters are dressed, like Tub, which one's Crockett? Uh, Tubbs is wearing like a- Crockett is the Don Johnson one. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, Crockett, uh, Tubbs is wearing a powder blue suit with a pink shirt underneath. Yeah. I mean, it's 80s, right? I guess. It felt kind of timeless. It, it could have been any time. It does read as a little bit more modern, but if you imagine that it is Miami Vice, just like we all remember it, the idea that like they've never encountered anything like bath salts before, and so they just like, oh God, it's turning people into zombies. Well, not really. Yeah. We will see. If, it's, if it really is zombies, then I agree that's kind of an odd addition to the mythos. Yeah, it's just dumb. But it's just a really fun roller coaster ride with great art. The story is all over the place, but I didn't really think that it was a bad thing. I'm giving it a skim it because 
I can see why it would be really hard for somebody to get into. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you are not attached to Miami Vice at all, and I am not, I didn't watch Miami Vice as a kid. I can see why you would not care about this at all, unless you were a fan specifically of these creators. Yeah. And I am. And I'm a fan of both. So I knew what I was getting into. This was just a little more than I needed. I understand. So it's a, it's a skimmit for me as well, but I guess I, I'm putting a bit more of a positive spin on it. All right, then. Joey, you're on your own on this one. Tell the kids about the private eye, number 10. This one is from Panel Syndicate, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by Marcos Martin and Munza Vincente. Munza Vicente. Munza Vincenzo. It's 34 pages. It's pay what you want. It's digital as well, we should say. Oh, yeah, it's digital. The adventures of Patrick Immelman come to a thrilling end as Brian K. Vaughn and company bring their first panel syndicate story to a close. P.I. and Ravina have raced to the Wonderwall Dam to stop Daguerre from launching his satellite and resurrecting the internet. <laughs> if you think that sounds like an insane premise, you're right. It sounds like the next Austin Powers film. <laughs> uh, it is crazy, but it's been an amazing 10-issue ride. I really can't say enough about the series. Vaughn, Martin, and Vicente are at the top of their game. Vaughn's characters ooze personality, aided by the wonderfully expressive art by Martin. The widescreen format allows Martin and Vicente to fill each page with panels of every shape and size, giving each the room they need to breathe. Every panel is filled with details that bring the crazy world these guys have created to life. Vaughn knows when to let the art do the talking, and Martin's expert storytelling skills tell you everything you need to know about what the characters are doing, thinking, and feeling. In the end, the villain is defeated, but not without cost, and Vaughn ends the series with a line straight out of the classic detective stories that inspired it. The last page is a beautifully illustrated moment that sums up so many of the themes that the private eye has explored. The series has proven that the pay-what-you-want model is a success. They've removed the middlemen of publishers, distributors, and yes, even retailers, and given the product directly to the readers and been rewarded for it. The Private Eye is an absolute must-read, and you have absolutely no excuse. Pay what you want, when you can, even if it's nothing. But if you want to show your support for these creators and for the idea of removing the barriers between creators, their art, and their fans, then do the right thing and buy it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> the only reason I didn't read this is because I'm not caught up and I want to sit down and catch up. Oh yeah. I don't don't just of. read number ten. Yeah, I read number one. I think I read one through three, and it's just amazing. But I decided I want to sit down and read the whole thing. Plan on doing so. Can't wait. It's must read. So that is a double skim it for Miami Vice Remix number one and a buy it for the private eye number ten. As always, we want to know what you sexy deep cover detectives and masked PIs thought of these comics. So resurrect your internet and hit us with your opinions over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at tweetednerd.com. It's official. Mr. Government Shutdown himself and global climate change denier Ted Cruz is running for president. But not everyone is happy about it. Namely devil dinosaur not anyone is happy about it <laughs> the big red t-rex is sick and damn tired of Cruz and his creationist bull views that don't have room for dinos so 
we've decided to get the two together for a public debate in our very own THM Thunderdome. We are really getting our money out of that thing. And just as I expected, the evolutionary debate has devolved into Cruz running for his life with Devil Dino in chase. So join us as we conveniently lose the keys to the Thunderdome entrance and review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Hit! 1957, number one from Boom. Writer Bryce Carlson and artist Vanessa Del Rey weave the story of Bonnie Bray, a con woman on the run, into the story of three dirty L.A. cops and some mobsters in Las Vegas, too. There's a lot going on here and a ton of narration to explain it all in depth. This wasn't bad, but unlike masters of pulp crime comics like Brubaker and Cook, this lacked a lot of the subtlety and timing of books like Criminal and Parker. Both are cited in the solicit, I should mention, so it's not necessarily unfair of me to throw them in there. Del Rey's art is very good, but so heavily colored in deep blues and blacks that some of the action is almost completely lost. This is a solid effort at pulp comic crime, but it just didn't hold my attention. I'm giving it a skimmit. Giant Days, number one from Boombox. Bad machinery and scary-go-round creator John Allison brings his Giant Days comic to print with artist Lissa Tremaine, or Trayman, sorry. I think it's Trayman. Giant Days follows new friends Susan, Esther, and Daisy as they start college and deal with all that comes with it. I can't really relate to it on the same level as the young women in the book, but it was well-written, very funny, and had great art. I'm giving it a strong skim it. Check it out and see if it's something that you'd be into. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very good. I just, I can't walk a mile in their shoes because I'm not a college age girl. Got it. We can never go home. Number one from Black Mask. Black Mask is owned by Bad Religion guitarist and owner of Epitaph Records, Brett Gurwitz. Each of the books they put out, like Epitaph's bands, has a punk rock sensibility. But unlike the others, We Can Never Go Home doesn't wear its musical sensibilities on its sleeve. Instead, we get a very well-written story of two high school kids, a nerd named Duncan with a loaded 45, and a cute popular girl with superpowers named Madison. The script never gets tired and presents very convincing young characters, and the art by Josh Hood is fantastic. I will say, the very last page has an extremely titular line where one of the characters looks right at the reader and goes, WE CAN NEVER GO HOME! <laughs> it's a little heavy-handed, but I'm giving this a huge buy-it. Gem and the Holograms. Number one from IDW, the book Joe Patrick has waited almost 30 years for. <laughs> because someone surely demanded it. Gem is back and better than ever. Look, I don't really give two shits about Gem. But this was really well done with truly outrageous artwork by Sophie Campbell. Oh, way to sneak that in. Thank you. If you have strong nostalgia for the cartoon, or if you just like a fun comic about a group of badass rocker chicks, check it out. Strong skim it. She was the original Hannah Montana, right? Yes. <laughs> pretty sure, much. Why not? <laughs> Chrono Nuts, number one from Image. All your favorite films were directed by people that had one thing in common. They all understood the importance of timing. Say what you will about Mark Millar, the guy knows just how and when to hit a reader with a story point that keeps you turning the page. This is a bromance about two buddies working on the first successful slash unsuccessful and televised journey through time. It was gorgeously illustrated by Sean Murphy and was everything from mysterious to scary to laugh out loud funny. 
there's a fantastic scene where the two buddies are getting ready to go back in time and one of them's like real brash Johnny Storm type character and he turns to his buddy and goes I swear I'm gonna marry that woman when I get back and his other friend says you just slept with her last night and he (laughs) he points at him and goes that's right and he's giving him like two like gun fingers and his buddy goes you know this is on camera right and they cut to a scene of a priest sitting with a bunch of nuns and a quizzer and he's pointing the gun fingers right back at the TV (laughs) and they're like clutching their rosaries like oh my (laughs) this was just great that's the exact scene that gave me a a pause for laughter too that's really funny I loved this I can't wait for the movie that I'm sure is already in production I'm giving it a buy and see this this is my point about it I did think it was pretty good as opposed to like Starlight, which was very heartfelt. Right. You can definitely see the inner workings of the Miller machine oh, here. Yeah. And it's like this is Roland Emmerich action film. It's like he right. He rolled all of his uh, the specific stats he needed yeah. to get picked up by Hollywood. Oh, he knows what he's doing now. <laughs> Absolutely. The Valiant, number four from Valiant. Jeff Lemire, Matt Kent, Paolo and Joe Rivera conclude this epic Valiant event. This has been a really great series, and it sets up a lot of threads for things to come in the Valiant universe. The art by Paolo and Joe Rivera is simply stunning. It's okay if you're not really familiar with Valiant's offerings up till now. Just pick this up and enjoy the ride. Absolute buy it. Pasta Ways, number one from Dark Horse. (laughs) Matt Kent wasn't busy enough, so he enlisted the help of artist Scott Collins to tell the story of a team of deeply flawed individuals who may be humanity's only hope against a threat from the future. This was mind-bending and packed full of science jargon and unpredictable super genius behavior, but this remained fun and fresh throughout the whole time. You bet. Why is Kent not writing a Challengers of the Unknown series for DC? Why? Or Rip Hunter or, or something. anything. Yeah. This was more kick-ass storytelling from the twisted mind of Kent, and Colin's art looked better than I have seen it in quite a we while. We lost him there for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he really looks good here. I'm giving this a buy it. I like to think that Jeff Lemire was uh, sitting at home, and he got his copy of previews, and he saw Pastaways <laughs> as one word. And he, and he broke it up. Pastaways. Ways. <laughs> <laughs> It's a new Italian place that I'm opening up. It's a fast food joke. Pasta ways. <laughs> Welcome to Pasta ways. Can I take your order? <laughs> Red one, number one from Image. <laughs> Sorry, you caught me off guard there. I was trying to scare you. Terry and Rachel Dodson join French writer Xavier Dorison for a fun cheesecakey romp through the Cold War of the 1970s. I love the premise. Uh, a Russian spy comes to America posing as a superhero, and the art by the Dodsons is stunning. It reads a little differently than most American comics. It's very European in its pacing and dialogue. In fact, it took me a little while to adjust to it. Yeah, it felt like, very soleil. Like it me. was translated yeah, from to. a different language. Not not bad. A, a, an excellent translation, just stylistically different. We just hate the way the French talk. <laughs> and I had fun with it. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm kidding. They have a beautiful language. Frankenstein Underground, number one from Dark Horse. Ben Stenbeck is quickly becoming my favorite Mignolaverse artist, and here he's in rare form, drawing Frank, running from man throughout history, ancient Mayan, Aztec, Olmec, gods, and forgotten statues. They're all the same. (laughs) Whoa, but I love the Frankenstein character, and the Mignolaverse is the perfect place for him. There's even a cameo by Hellboy here. This is creepy gothic horror as we've come to love it from the Mignola and Dark Horse. Buy this, buy this, buy this, and then buy it again. Invincible, number 118, from Image. This is the weirdest issue of Invincible that I have read in a very long time, but 
It is a legitimately great jumping on point for new readers. Mark and his girlfriend Eve have started a new life with their daughter in space, hilarity, and really uncomfortable bathroom conversations ensue. The art by Ryan Otley is as outstanding as ever, and if you weren't convinced enough, this issue is only a quarter. You can't afford not to buy it. Why can Image do this, but Marvel and DC can't figure this out? First issue, you want to try it? Make it a quarter. Well, but this is Kirkman we're talking about. He's I got get it. Kirkman money. I get it. Oh, well, oh yeah, poor Marvel only has Disney money. Those poor guys. I'm saying <laughs> Kirkman can do what he wants. Warner Brothers with their dried up bank account. That is the sound of Crockett and Tubbs ramming their Ferrari into a bunch of bath salt zombies as seen in this week's issue of Miami Vice. (laughs) Number one. Don't forget to smash us with your Ferraris and your reviews of this week's new comics over at the comic section of the THN forum. This week, we enter the THN Sanctum Sanctorum with heavy hearts. Our good friend and Ninja Turtle that does machines That's a fact Was struck down in battle last week Today we're joined by several of Donnie's friends and contemporaries To celebrate Donatello's life and passing Even though he didn't really die Shh, stop it, it's disrespectful Bucky O'Hare will be leading us in a toast After Cerebus and Boris the Bear Finish a hilarious story about that time The three of them were arrested by the fish police after getting handsy with Omaha the Cat Dancer at a club in Vegas. That's well done. Right? Great job. Right? That's, that's very good. Matt, Raphael is a mess. What do you say we take him outside and distract him for a bit by talking about a couple of next week's comics? Come on, buddy. Let's go. My pick for next week is UFOlogy, number one. Written by James Tynan IV and Noah Yunkel. With yeah. art by Matt Fox. Here's your solicit. Becky Finch never wanted to be special. She just wanted to be a normal high school student in the small Midwestern town of McCaugie. Yeah. Malcolm Chamber wanted something more. A destiny. An answer from the stars. When Becky is marked by an alien's touch, she'll stumble into a mystery she's never wanted. A mystery that almost ripped apart their parents' lives 12 years ago. She'll need the help of her eccentric young classmate, Malcolm, as she finds the power within herself to uncover the truth. I like James Tynan a lot. He writes good stuff. I really enjoyed his The Woods series. This sounds like more fun. Awesome. Joe, what's your pick? My pick for next week is Convergence! Oh my god. Is Number it, zero. Is time already? <laughs> from DC Comics, written by Dan Jurgens and Jeff King. With art in this special zero issue by Ethan Van Skyver. Here's your solicit. Where do worlds go when they die? What does that mean? The earthquakes (laughs) felt round the multiverse. Superman's lost days after doomed. The world's end. All these points will converge as the history of the DCU is spun from a new perspective. The perspective of a mad god and his arrogant child. The biggest story in DC history ties into literally every DC story ever told. Unlike all the rest of them that tie into literally every DC story ever told. And it all begins here. Kingdom Come. What? Red Sun. Oh my God. Wild West Justice League. Captain Garrett in the Zoom. All the worlds you remember can still be found on Telos. Okay, wait a minute. Time out. What? It's the place where everything's converging. Oh, it's Battle World. Yes. (laughs) Everything matters. Every story matters. Don't miss the start of DC's April slash May 2015 event 
with this special issue. <laughs> I'm exhausted already. You're really picking this? Really? I am. I just think this is going to be a mess. I am. I can't look. I am excited for convergence. Man. I am not confident that it will have a lasting impact. I'm not happy that it's going to answer all of my deep-seated resentment to uh, the, the new 52, but I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited to see a lot of the things that I love come back, If even if it's only briefly. And if they give us some closure for some of that stuff, then that's an added bonus. I am morbidly curious to see the dead bodies in this car accident. I'll say that. I think that... It, I think that if nothing else, Convergence will be a really fun ride. Okay. <laughs> I think it'll be a really spectacular explosion. I'll say that. <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to Avengers Rage of Ultron, original graphic novel from Marvel Comics, written by Rick Remender, with art by Jerome Opinia and Pepe Larraz. Man, those guys' names are fun to say. Here's the solicit. It was another glorious victory for the mighty Avengers. But not the mighty Avengers that you might be thinking of. Good triumph over evil and Ultron was shot into space, never to be seen again. Or so they thought. Now, years later, the homicidal artificial intelligence, so long devoted to ending life on Earth, has found a new world to conquer. Just in time for the movie to come out, I might add. One with its own horrific legacy. When Titan, birthplace of Thanos, falls, planet Ultron rises in its place. Thanos' brother Star Fox must seek the aid of his former allies, but the Avengers he finds are radically different from the ones he wants new. Not radical like the Ninja Turtle. Among them is Ultron's creator, Giant Man. And when Hank Pym confronts his now planet-sized son, who ate a lot and got really fat, I guess. <laughs> the responsibilities of his fatherhood have never loomed so large. Yeah, we don't know what we already said he created. I do like the line, full robotic rage. <laughs> okay. Rick Remender and Jerome Pena unleash the full robotic rage of Ultron on Earth's mightiest heroes. I think it looks great. I yeah. think Jerome Pena drawing anything is always a plus. Absolutely. And I like Pepe Larras. I do too. Head over to the THN forums and tell us about your favorite Donatello memory and what you'll be reading next week. Sorry, speculator suckers, but it looks like Donnie's not dead. Yeah. I hope you guys flip that stuff fast. The dear dude that paid a hundred bucks for the one in ten variant cover. You a dummy. It's not every day that Joe and I get to review a comic written by a congressman. In fact, not any day. It's never happened. <laughs> but today on Take a Look in a Book, we are reviewing March, written by Congressman John Lewis and Andrew Aiden with art by Nate Powell from Top Shelf Publishers. This is the autobiographical story of John Lewis, who grew up in a, as a sharecropper's son in Alabama, witnessing the cruel racism of the South in the 1950s. Lewis would go on to lead the Nashville lunch counter sit-ins, and later he would become president of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, who would spearhead the civil rights movement that shined a light on the ridiculous segregation of the South. Lewis would go on from there to become a congressional leader and winner of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Joe Patrick, how in the hell does a man like this end up writing comic books? <laughs> That's a really great question, and I wish I had an answer for you. 
I'm glad that he did, though. What's truly amazing, and not just about the story and the art, but the fact that Andrew Aiden, who is Lewis's congressional aide, is a huge comic book nerd. And he is the one that convinced Lewis this is the way to do it. Rather than writing a New York Times bestselling novel or something, let's do it in comic book format. Nate Powell had already worked on some historical stuff before this that was also about the civil rights movement. And so he seemed to be perfect for this job. And a book like this, this is not to say that comics are still looked upon as funny books or kids books anymore. They're really not. Adults are reading comics. But this really, really lends credibility to the graphic novel as a storytelling device doing something this important and this historical. It, oh, absolutely. It's just amazing what they've achieved here. And there's a reason why these books have won so many awards. Thematically, it, it ties into a comic book that was put out during the civil rights movement about Martin Luther King uh, and the Montgomery, uh, the Freedom Riders and, and the, uh, the stuff going down in Montgomery at the time. And doing it as a comic book back in the 60s to get this out made a lot of sense because you're not handing out leaflets, you're handing out art, you're handing out something that costs a dime so you can really get into the people's hands. And I like to think maybe, and they don't explicitly say this, but that is part of what gave Lewis the push to do this in comic book form because it, there was precedent for this. Yeah. This story, obviously very close to Lewis's heart. There's bound to be some elements of it that are dramatized because he wasn't there for everything. But he knew the people firsthand. You know, he was deeply connected. His friends, his his brothers and sisters were yeah. just violently assaulted and in some cases killed. I don't want to make this all about my white guilt, but reading those scenes, recognizing that this was only 50, 60 years ago. Yeah, like a lot of these people are still alive. It is unbelievably humbling. No, not to mention the fact, unbelievably ridiculous. Like yeah. the situation itself, the story really highlight for me, just highlighted the ridiculousness of segregation and the ridiculous ideas that the South was carrying at the time and just flat out racism for the sake of racism. There was no rhyme or reason behind it. And watching Lewis and his fellow students put together the nonviolent committee that could have just raged against this. They could have just rioted. They could have gone in and destroyed white businesses and burned white movie theaters. But instead they came in with these nonviolent intentions, which they showed were inspired by Gandhi and just said, I'd like to be served. Can I have lunch? Or I'd like to buy a movie ticket and allowed themselves to be berated Humiliated, absolutely assaulted. humiliated, assaulted, and sometimes killed to shine a light on how stupid this situation is, how ultimately ridiculous, bigoted, and just plain dumb the situation was. And we've seen plenty. We've seen movie after movie and read book after book. But seeing it done in comic book format like this, they're able to delve into certain things like when they taught when they showed how the students, of the nonviolent committee practiced for this where another black student was screaming in their face for, or even white ones that were supporters yeah, of the cause, and shoving them over in their chair and yelling at them, dumping water on their head and spitting stuff. on them. Yeah. And just how you're not allowed to break and how some of the people totally supported this, but couldn't do it. 
stood up and said, I can't, I can't, I can't I, be nonviolent. I will resort to violence in this situation. It's, it's just a side I'd never really seen portrayed before. The way Lewis and Aiden and Powell portray that on the page. Yeah. Is it's enough to just tear your heart out. Like we all know this story. We all know how this went, but the way that they present it, it's not sappy. It's not, it doesn't come off as preachy. It comes off as just a brilliant narration of this history. It starts eight years ago with the inauguration of Barack Obama and John Lewis attending and seeing how far the civil rights movement has brought black people in America. We have our first black president and then flashes back to the contrast of that 1950s Alabama as dark and as racist as it could have possibly been. And it flashes backwards and forwards with Lewis sort of narrating the story of these two kids who were brought by their mother to meet him or just see his office. And he happened to be there. And yeah, they, she wasn't expecting him. They weave a very classic comic book narrative that works so well here. And as good as Lewis is as a writer and Aiden was at helping him write this story, Nate Powell absolutely brings this to life and does so in black and white with gray wash. It gives it this classic feel. It gives it a very cinematic look. His art is perfect for this. I completely agree. Stylistically, one of the things that I noticed the most that I really appreciated the simple things he did to change up his style in certain situations. Like there was a specific scene where things were getting very violent. It was a very chaotic scene. And all of a sudden the detail drops out of the art. Yeah. You know what? I didn't even notice that, but you're absolutely right. And not in a way where it's like, wow, he didn't, this lazy. No, it's a stylistic choice that reinforces the chaos of the scene, right? Yeah. You can't really tell what's happening. You can't see fine details. And normally everything else is very detailed and very fleshed out. And it was little stuff like that that caught my eye as I was reading the book. Yeah. You know, as compelling as the story is when told aloud or read visually, you can imagine how it might not always be the most interesting thing to look at. Sure. But his art is never boring ever. Yeah. Even when it's just talking heads or or guys in suits or people at a sit in people sitting on a bus, every character uh, though it's not, uh, I would not say it's uh, necessarily like photo reference realistic. No, not at all. Uh, it's very stylized. It's cartoony, uh, but still recognizable. And he does just enough to differentiate. You know, this is a t- this is a time where it could have been very easy to to lose who's who in yeah. this huge cast. Because there's a ton of people yeah. involved in that. Bunch of guys walking around, same haircut. Some of them might have mustaches. They're all very recognizable, individually distinct. Right. It's something that he does in a way, it makes it look simple. Yeah. It's breathtaking. It's a breathtaking looking set of books. It really is. They they definitely made a choice not to deify John Lewis, but show that he was an important part of this. Yet they were very careful to show that there were so many other people involved working on this as a unit. They weren't. He was not a Gandhi figure. He wasn't held up as like the name, the guy, but he was very, very important, like Martin Luther King level important, just not necessarily in the spotlight. He was there fighting the ground war, going from town to town in the South, living through this stuff. I don't know that I've read a better 
historical comic book in my life. I'm with you. Normally they can come off as long winded, kind of boring. And I'm talking even historical war comics and stuff. This was beautifully written, beautifully illustrated and so compelling. You will burn through it. I've read the first book in, I think an hour and a half, two hours. You know, we say it a lot. You can't put it down. Yeah. And it's true. It's because once you, once it gets its hooks in you, it's so compelling that you want to keep going as, as a white person who only knows this from historical context, it could have been difficult to connect to the material, right? But the way these men present this story is so well done that it affects you deeply. Well, it's not a white or black story. It's a human story. Yes, right. It's not about the black struggle against the white oppressors. Right. It's about people fighting for their very dignity. Yeah. And they absolutely show that there were white people there supporting them as well. Yeah. And there were uh, black people in the South that had no interest in the civil rights movement because, hey, we've got it good. You know, we've got our life built. Don't rock the or boat. Or it's not going to get any better. Live with it. Right. We don't want to get our house firebombed. What are you doing? And they also show that these people weren't necessarily cowards. These people were doing everything they could to survive. To protect their but families. Even some of like the racist people who are reacting are not necessarily demonized here. They kind of show them as living in this ignorant time where this was just how life was. And they discuss like these are not all bad people. They don't know. They don't realize what they're doing. And we have to show them that what they're doing is wrong. I will tell you, for me, the most affecting scene in the first two books so far came in the second volume where the bus containing the Freedom Riders finally pulls into Montgomery and there is a literal mob waiting for them and it's a mob of men women and children yeah women with babies yeah and journalists and everyone is attacked everyone and they show this little kid that is pounding on members oh this is this is a guy from the press or somebody that was there helping him this is a white man and this little kid his mom is like telling him to gouge his eyes out and smash his camera and so it, they show you this, this child and how it's been whi- whipped into this hateful thing. And when it's all said and done and the riot is over, when, um, you know, it's broken up by the Montgomery's uh, peace officer, they show the aftermath and they show the kid and he's visibly shaken. Yeah. Like he's looking at his bloody hands and he's, there's no dialogue or anything, but you can tell that. Just what the hell did I do? Like, how did, like, what happened? Right. How did it, how did it get to be this way? And it is such a, it's a a scene that is so full of immense savagery. It's hard not to just be really broken by it. Yeah. I can't recommend these books highly enough. Yeah. And I got to say, I know there's a lot of you out there that read comics to escape. You want to read sci-fi or fantasy or whatever. And I was like that for a long time too. This is the kind of book that I would really recommend to anybody. Because the story is there, the art is there, the action is there, and it's a story that everyone should read. This is the sort of graphic novel that you can absolutely bet will end up being taught yeah. as curriculum. And it's easy to say in some of these, like in this case of like movies and stuff, if it's about civil rights or slavery or whatever, oh, it's perfect. We can't criticize we it. We can't criticize it in any way. That's just not the case here. It's very, very masterfully done, and I could not give this a bigger buy it. I 100% agree. It's it's not 
good just because of what it's about. Right, it's because good we're supposed because to learn a lesson. It is an excellent story, yeah. an important story, well told as though these guys were masters of their craft. Right. And except for maybe Nate Powell, who's been in the industry for a while, they are absolutely not. Yeah. These are guys that have never written comics this before. This is a congressman and his congressional aide. And they came in here and they showed, uh, I think they've shown a lot of creators how it's done because absolutely. this is a brilliantly executed set of books and I can't wait for the third one. This is an absolute buy it from me too. We want to know what you guys thought of March volumes one and two. So head to the take a look. It's in a book section of the THN forums and let's rap about it next month because good Lord, we need to brighten things up in here. We are reviewing Sex Castle. If anything contrasts the plight of civil rights better, I can't think of it. <laughs> we are reviewing Sex Castle by Kyle Starks from Image Comics. It's out now. It's not that expensive. Pick it up. Read it along. Join us on this adventure. Without knowing anything about it, already my favorite title of the year. <laughs> totally. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the WrestleMania week episode of THN. If you agree it's too soon for Roman Reigns to be getting this big of a push, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, is it ever? Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. I don't know who Roman Reigns is. Of course you don't. Thank you to our latest sustaining donor, Black Scorpion the Three. That guy loves him some wrestling. He does. If you want to keep us in replacement turnbuckles for our backyard ring, I almost broke Joe Patrick's damn neck out there last week. <laughs> you can do so by clicking our jobber of a PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member like Black Scorpion, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. And as little as a buck a month really sincerely does help. If you're interested in sponsoring this welterweight wannabe of a podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, Tumblr, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge for our Defender segment. Or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, Paint it onto the side of your backyard ring apron. Whatever! And don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. Learn more about our segments, how you can be a part of them, show us your best Frankensteiner, or just rap about comics. Speaking of the forums, forum member Steven Snicked is talking about Joe the Barbarian and Punk Rock Jesus, both amazing Sean Murphy books. If you haven't read them, you certainly should. We got some guys talking about the new Avengers lineup that we just mentioned this week. Oh, they're already going nuts about it. Steven Snicked is also asking us, what was the nerdiest thing you've ever done? That could be a fun one to look into. I don't know if I have an answer for that. Oh, I, I could answer for you and you could answer for me, I'll bet. <laughs> Maybe. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Remember to follow To It A Nerd on Twitter, like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. And then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast every Wednesday-ish. 
But if you need more THN in your life now, get over to twoheadednerd.com and check out Ludicrous Speed Reviews by Aaron Myers. We've got a new Charlie Tron coming up. Ryan Hebrews Mount just sent a whole litany of article ideas. Hey, look at this guy. Looking to take the TD Dubs place, huh? <laughs> Someone's got to. Yeah. We got to clean that corpse up, by the way. It's starting to stink. Next week, we're playing Ask a Nerd in the Ziggurat. So hit us with the nerdiest comic question you've got. And folks, nothing is out of bounds. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Carl Smith, a.k.a. Camarillo Brillo, who just published his third book, L is for Loon, a collection of short horror stories that tie into his Horror of Loon Lake graphic novel. You got to buy them both. You want to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Word to you, buddy. Everyone, get over to Amazon and check out Carl's great work. I love he uh, tweeted earlier this week. He's like, I checked uh, the Amazon numbers and there was a huge spike. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to retire. He's like, then I remembered that I gave a bunch of them away for free. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might put you in the Boston Crab if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Devastated. You know what it is? It's uh, not a seafood dish. No. <laughs> <laughs>